0: everybody let's have a look at the New Testament shall we let's read some verses as a backdrop to what we do this morning from first Peter chapter 1 okay this is a letter written by Peter as a very old apostle um, well he no, didn't get to be that old he was uh, uh, killed by the Romans before he was uh, what we would consider old nowadays but this he realizes is at the end of his career and he's writing to people in a part of Turkey. Uh, where there is just about to be persecution of Christians, and he can see it coming, they can 't yet, and he 's preparing them for it. So first Peter chapter one, uh, let 's read from verse three, "Praise be, he says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he 's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be made genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then verse 13, he says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially... Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without a blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Okay, we'll have a look at that in a moment and and what it says. Let me just say that uh, we are living, as uh, Kev has already reminded us in prayers, in, in difficult days. The world is on a knife edge such as it hasn't been for many, many years. Uh, and people are starting to ask questions that they asked during the Second World War, during the time when Kennedy and Khrushchev were putting off over nuclear issues in the 1960s, days that we haven't seen for the last few decades. It was a while that we just had Ukraine to worry about and what Russia was doing there and the implications for the rest of Europe. Now we've got Israel and Gaza. We've got the Houthi rebels uh, shutting down uh, trade in the Red Sea and uh, America and Britain starting to bomb them. We've got people talking about conscription again for the first time in decades. And the world is posed in a very, very difficult balance right now. Well, you know what? It was the same in the 7th century BC. And there were three men who lived then who had questions to ask very similar to the questions that people are asking today. And one of them was asking the question, is the world sliding out of control? Or is God really still in charge? Can you believe in a higgledy-piggledy state of affairs like this, that there really is a God who has purpose, that he's working through in history? Another one was asking, well, why does the situation keep on getting worse when we pray? We ask God to make it right, and the problems just seem to multiply all the time. And the third of them was asking, is there something wrong with our culture that we need to stand up against? Could we be part of the problem in the world rather than part of the answer just because of the way we're brainwashed by the society we live in? Now their names were Nahum, (laughs) Habakkuk and Zephaniah and we're going to have a look at them tonight and what was happening in that century. uh, Continuing our series where we're starting to look at the prophets in the Bible and what they had to say to their own and what they've got to say to us now. So if you're free tonight and you want to hear something that's pretty contemporary in terms of the questions it addresses... Then those three exciting guys who all prophesied within about 20 years of one another. You get this sudden burst of prophecy coming from them, which is still there in the Bible today, uh, thousands of years later. Why? Because it's still valid, it's still relevant, it's still important. So, that's tonight. Meanwhile, we've got this morning. And you may remember that we've just started a series which is going to run through this year. Uh, which is about the vision statement that uh, Great Parks has got for itself. And it says four things. Our vision is to see people saved, discipled, equipped and encouraged. That's what this church is trying to do to people. So we're going to unpack each bit of that and it'll take us a while to do that. The first bit we're on already is being saved. And we talked about that the last time I was here. And uh, we said that salvation is something that has happened once for all through Jesus' death. We've just remembered with the bread and the wine, the, the body and the blood of Jesus, and that decisive moment in the world's history where he changed everything. Jürgen Klopp, who has been in the papers just a little bit over the last couple of days, says it's the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world, the greatest thing that was ever done for the human race. And it was done once. Because of Jesus' death, we can be saved. And uh, he said himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so a Christian is someone who is saved, who has got into the benefit of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, who's now on their way to heaven, who has a new life inside, the, because it's already happened. We would be saved. But, you know, when you look at the way that the Bible uses the word saved, it's not just about a past experience. It's about things that are going on now. And last time we put up this slide as well and said, once you're rescued, you're a child of the Father, your past is blotted out, your future is certain, the Spirit lives within you, you have a new nature, there's a new joy and peace, you have family everywhere, you live with new purpose. And there's a verse in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament that kind of sums it up by saying, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. And so there is a decisive moment in your life you might be aware of it or you might not be aware exactly when it happened, but there's a decisive moment when you turn from darkness to light, the old life to the new life, when everything changes and you are saved. And that verse goes on to say, And all of this is a gift from God who brought his to himself through Christ. So the first big question, I guess, this morning is, is that where you are? Has that happened to you in the course of your life? Can you say that there has been a time when God has got a grip on your life in a way that has turned you and changed you into a new person, not through anything you've done, but simply through accepting the gift that Jesus gives us of, of new life uh, through his, his and his resurrection? But there are other questions too. Because you see, that word salvation uh, it, it covers an awful lot of different things. And in the days when the, the, the New Testament was being written, the, the writers used all sorts of different words, which are technical terms that just explain to us exactly what that salvation means. And use words like redemption, salvation, reconciliation, justification, adoption, atonement, forgiveness, all of those words. And when you look at those words, sometimes they need explaining in our day because they come from images that people in those days would have understood very clearly, from the slave market, from the law courts, from family relationships, from what went on in society, and and from warfare, the whole salvation thing. Uh, And all of that comes from a culture that isn't ours. I wonder if they were using, just trying to explain it for the first time nowadays, if they would use slightly different words that would be more familiar to us. I wonder if one of them might be recycling. Nobody knew what recycling was 2000 years ago, but nowadays it's big business, isn't it? Giving something a new use, taking something that's ready for the scrap heap and giving it a new lease of life. Because that's a picture that the New Testament gives us about salvation too. It's something that not just starts at a particular decisive point in time, it's something that goes on right through your life. I mean, spot the difference between these two verses. Here's one from 2 Timothy chapter 1. He has saved us. Past tense. It's completed. It's done. And called to a holy life. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The message of the cross to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. See the difference? One is saying it's already happened. You already are saved. <laughs> the other verse is saying it's happening right now. You are being saved. So you might think, well, has it happened to us, or is it still going on? And then you read some other verses, which we'll get to next week, which talk about the fact it's in the future. You will be saved. Oh, my goodness, it's past, past and future. What is going on here? Here's another, uh, it's not just not two verses, here's another couple of verses for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. In this hope we were saved. And 2 Corinthians 2.15. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So, once again, one of them is talking about a past event, which is already complete. And the other one's talking about an ongoing process. And sometimes you need both, don't you, when something happens. Here's something big that's happened to me since the last time I saw you. My computer, eight and a half years of stuff on it, Uh, part of my life, the first thing I look at in the morning once breakfast is over and uh, spend most of the rest of the day staring at as well, it broke down. And of course it says on the screen here, your device ran into a problem and needs to restart. We're just collecting some error info and then we'll restart for you. It's never restarted, and I've spent a long time, days, wrestling with it, trying to get something out of it, following all kinds of advice that uh, I, I, I have from different places and on the internet and things like that, and to get that, my computer going just proved impossible. So I've had to buy a new I've managed to get most of my files back, which is, is, is one thing, and I'm ready to go tomorrow morning. Brand new computer, delivered in less than 24 hours. Really looks good. I can't wait to get started. But you know what? It's not my computer yet. Yet, It is. I paid for it, honestly. But it's not mine until I get my files up there, the applications I use all the time, and you know, get used to working with Windows 11 rather than Windows 10, and all that sort of stuff. It's not mine. I'm not at home <coughs> yet. And there'll be a process. And tomorrow it's going to be a difficult day because I will have to put all of that stuff back on there and in a hurry because HMRC wants my tax return by Wednesday. And uh, I've got to get all of that stuff and all those files up there and put it the way that I can use it and, and, and make something out of it. And uh, it's, it's just been horrendous uh, doing without it. But it will be mine and it will be increasingly that way. It'll take some weeks probably to get it back just the way I want it to be. So it's mine already, but I want to make it more mine. <laughs> And that, in a sense, is what happens with salvation. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a new life receives. Past, gone, gone, finished. It's a decisive moment that changes everything. But after that, there's the process. When Jesus makes your life more and more his, when day by day you are being saved and you start living out more and more what God has already put in there. So, just questions this morning. First of all, how does God do it? What method does he employ to make you and me different bit by bit? We'll never be completely changed until we get to glory. And when you stand in glory and you see Jesus and your eyes lock with his, that is when you'll be transformed into his likeness completely and totally. While you're here, there will always be more work to be done. Philippians chapter 1 says that uh, the one who has begun a good work in us will continue to complete it right through to the day of his appearing. In other words, you'll never reach a point in your life where you say, I've done it, I'm here, I'm a successful Christian, I will now write, write my million-selling bestseller uh, about how I create, achieve perfection in the Christian life. Not going to happen. There will always be something to be sorted out. And God will continue to do But how does he do it? What method does he employ? How does he change us? And the second question is, where does God do it? What parts of your life are affected by it? Clearly, you don't change colour, you don't become beautiful and handsome and all the rest of it, to my great disappointment when I look in the mirror. But uh, it changes you internally in all sorts of ways. What parts of life is he working on bit by bit? And third, why? Why can't it happen all at once? Why have you got to go through this process of gradually and painfully being changed while you're then here, in a world which could go into the Third World War at any minute, Why doesn't God just zonk you off to glory the moment you become a Christian and change you into his likeness? If he can do it in a flash, why doesn't he do that? So, those three questions we'll have a look at just for a few minutes this morning. First of all then, how does God do it? And the answer is, he does it through the Spirit. That's what 1 Peter 1 makes very clear, isn't it? That's why we read the chapter. Because God's Holy Spirit gets to work on your life once you become a Christian and starts to change you in all sorts of areas. He's various things to you. He works in all kinds of different ways. One thing is he's your coach. The Holy Spirit helps us to live life better day by day as we stay in touch with the Lord Jesus through him. If there's anybody who knows a lot about coaching, I guess it is Jürgen Klopp. And the news that he's about to leave Liverpool Football Club. Sorry, we spoke a lot about football last time. We're speaking about football again. I promise next time we'll talk about something different. Okay? But uh, Jurgen Klopp is just uh, uh, on, the, on the point of living, leaving Liverpool. And at the moment, the papers are full of, of uh, articles about what a wonderful coach he is and what a fantastic job he's done. And it's been interesting to me how many of those articles refer a lot of it back to his Christian faith. I heard a, a, a thing on the radio yesterday where uh, they recounted the story of how uh, Klopp, on the verge of going off to play uh, in, in Lisbon, or, or get his team playing anyhow, in the uh, Champions League uh, a final, um, took the time, an hour before they went, to make a video and send it off to a Liverpool fan who couldn't be there at the final because he was dying. And his only hope was that he would stay alive long enough to watch the final. And Klopp sent him a heartfelt video just just saying, well, we do so much appreciate your support, you'll never walk alone, and all that kind of thing. And at the end of it, famously, he said, and I'm a Christian, so I'll see you again. (laughs) And I was really interested in the comment on the radio programme made by the, the man who was telling the story, saying, doesn't that tell you all about him as a coach? If you believe that about people... They have an eternal value. You'll see them again. They're never finished. Death is not the end of the story. Then you've got to treat people in a different way, haven't you? And maybe that's the key to his coaching. The way he sees life, he's the perfect coach. Well, I don't know about that. But the Holy Spirit certainly is the perfect coach. And uh, he changes our lives. One of uh, Klopp's players over the last five years who became a Christian although I don't think Klopp had a lot to do with it was a guy called Roberto Firmino Fermi- one of the greatest goal scorers in the world at the moment I guess and uh, he, you're used to seeing him in a Liverpool shirt. This is what he looks like a bit more nowadays because he's taken up a, a preaching career alongside his football. And here he is preaching at church in Latin America just a few months ago. This is from his, his Insta account, so it's, it's a genuine picture of Firmino. This is what he, he put by. He put some of the words from his sermon. Brothers, the gospel goes far beyond clocking in every Sunday at church. There is more to the Lord than that. Paul says, Woe to him who hopes only for earthly rewards and he knows all about earthly rewards or salary. This life is just a blink of an eye close to eternity. What Ferminu is saying is, I've I've discovered something much bigger than all of the success I can have in football. And you know, it's something you've got to take seriously because God wants it to grow inside us. It goes far beyond clocking in a church on a Sunday morning. And everything you have on this earth is just going to be a block in eternity. You're made for something much bigger than this. And once you're a Christian, God wants to work that out inside you. He's not the only Christian who thinks that way. I was interested to find uh, Cody Gakpo, also of Liverpool, saying this. Uh, They that wait upon the Lord, he quotes Isaiah 50 on his his Insta account, though they wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And Gakpo says that his strength in living life comes from the fact that the Holy Spirit is working inside him and changing him, coaching him, helping him get through the difficulties and the problems of life, showing him gradually how to become a more responsible, better, uh, sensitive, caring, loving person. And the Holy Spirit, is coach and all of that, Gatpo, during the World Cup, again famously in the finals, uh, well, along with Memphis Depay, who became a Christian in 2016, ran a Bible study for 15 players who weren't Christians to introduce what they were so excited about. Then there's Trevo uh, Chevalova with Christ in the boat, I smile at the storm, you smile at the storm, you smile too much at Chelsea's results, but still, that's another issue. And uh, he's just one of so many people, Not they're not all football players either, I'm just putting them up there because of who find that Jesus as the coach through the Holy Spirit is an important way of becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be. The Holy Spirit is also your charging unit, you might say. I never preach here nowadays without bringing an extension lead along with me because I need to make sure that this preacher is not going to run out of power. And the Holy Spirit is a person who makes sure you never run out of power in living Christian life. You might look at it and think, I can't do that. I can't live that way. That is not me. Some people seem to manage effortlessly, but I know what I'm like. Don't worry, it's not down to you. It's down to the Holy Spirit who's working through you. God wants to turn you into not a different person. He wants to make you more yourself than you've ever been before. But he wants to bring those changes in you that bring you together as a person and make you something beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit coming through yeah. your life. And uh, the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit in a different way as well. It talks about him as your companion, he's always there with you, and he's there to bring you joy. Now, the New Testament also talks about the Holy Spirit as the comforter in old-fashioned versions. And we go, oh, that's nice. You know, every day I go through life, the Holy Spirit will be there just to say, there, there, John, it's not too bad. Even if they all hate you, I'm there, I understand you, and I'll wipe your tears away. That is not what comforter means. There's a great bit of the Bayer Tapestry. You know that uh, great tapestry that was made about the Battle of Hastings, and you can still see it in Normandy if you go to the museum where it is. And there's a great bit in it which uh, has the wording over top Hic Odo Episcopus Baculum Tenens Confortat Pueros. What does that mean? It means here, Bishop Odo, who was, I think, the brother in law of William the Conqueror, he was something big anyway, Bishop Odo, wielding a club, Baculum Tenens comforts the boys. What's he doing? Well, you can see the battle is happening to the, that side of the picture. And most of the soldiers are heading into the battle, piling on top of one another, heading in that way. But there are two soldiers who are heading the opposite way. Because those boys have decided, we don't fancy this, we want to go home, we don't want to be part of this battle. And Otto is comforting them with his <laughs> He's getting in and saying, get back in there and fight for you! That's comforting his soldiers. (laughs) And that really is the meaning, the old-fashioned meaning of comforter, which the the, the New Testament's using about the Holy Spirit. He's somebody who prepares us for action, who pushes us back into the fight, who brings us challenges we just want to face by ourselves, but keeps us going. And although the Holy Spirit does all of that, he also brings us joy. And when C.S. Lewis uh, was writing a book about his early years and how after years and years of atheism... He became a Christian. The only title he could find for it that uh, summed it up perfectly came from a Wordsworth poem, Surprised by Joy. He never knew such joy was possible. It wasn't that life suddenly became easy and, and plain sailing. When his wife, who was incidentally called Joy, Joy Davidman, died, he went through some terrible, terrible times. And in his book, A Grief Observed, you can see just how he, he plummeted to the very depths of grief. And yet, when he look back over his Christian life, and the way in which the Holy Spirit had started changing, all he could say was it was a, be- a life of being surprised by joy. And that's what God is offering us as he offers to change our lives as we uh, belong to him. So, second question, where does God do it? What parts of your life does God want to change? And the answer, only answer to that is lots of places. There are many, many different ways in which God affects your life as you grow as a Christian. First of all, there's the way you think. See how in First Peter, uh, Peter talks about the, 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 the lives that they used to live before and says, well, God has done something to you. He's taken you away from the vain way of life that you inherited from the past generations, the thoughts and patterns that were natural to you, the things you were looking for in life that just weren't very good. God has res- rescued you from all that and given you something incredibly precious in Jesus. He changes your thought patterns. He makes you look at life in a different way. I'm not, uh, this is not a sermon about Jürgen Klopp, but he's just very much in my mind this morning. And another of the things he said way back in, uh, oh, I think seven or eight years ago, when he'd only just started doing things with Liverpool, he was, he was asked, um, so uh, what are your ambitions for Liverpool Football Club while you're here? Well, you know, the problem with me is I'm a Christian. So I sometimes think the other guy should win. <laughs> And he, he said, that that's, that's one of my problems. I want to do well with Liverpool, but I don't think we've got to win everything. We've got to be absolutely top of the heap. And so he's done well, but he's not won everything. There's still Manchester City in the back of the mountain, various others as well. And uh, um, people just had to get used to that as part of his makeup that he was somebody who could see the other side too. He wasn't going to be 100% rabidly for his team because he believed that God had a place for everybody in life and that i think is one symptom of the way in which god has been changing his life through his christianity making him aware of the needs of other people of their right to a place in the sunshine as well and there are all kinds of ways in which god changes your thought patterns makes you more responsive to the needs of the world makes you selfish makes you less focused on the small things yesterday the guardian had a an article in which it uh, uh, published the the, the, the the stories of 30 people who are on the point of death. Simply asked them, how are you hope, coping with death? And sadly, not one of them mentioned God or the afterlife or anything like that in their whole article. It was all focused on them and their families. But the interesting thing was they said, when you're faced with death, the small things just disappear. The things that used to irritate you, the things you used to be shooting for, the things that you thought were big ambitions, they just shrink and fade. And you're suddenly back in, what is my life all about? What are the most important things? And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Take those things that most people are living for and say, are they really that valuable? And focus your attention on things that are going to be with you forever. So there's the way you think. There are the hopes you build on. What are you looking forward to? And First Peter 1 talks about how God has given these Christians in that small part of Turkey where nobody understands them a hope that's eternal, that will endure forever. A living hope, not just a vain, oh, a hope that maybe one of these days it will happen, and we'll all live happily ever after, but that kind of hope that says, this is certain and sure. It's like an anchor. It goes right down to the very depth and the bedrock of my life, and it holds firm. And third, the, your failures and compromises. The Holy Spirit wants to change your moral performance. You may not be a bad person. You may not be a psychopath or a bank robber or anything like that, but nonetheless, you have problems. You know and I know. All of our lives are imperfect. And Jesus Christ came to change that through his death on the cross. To make us new people who would live in a different way. But that's a learning process. We have to learn how to do it. How to say no to the wrong impulses we've had for years and how to uh, uh, allow Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, to make us into new people, to change our patterns of living. The great thing about my new computer is it's new, it's fresh. I've got a complete blank slate to work with. Fantastic. I can do what I want with it. But when you become a Christian, although you have a new life, you also still have an old life. (laughs) There's still something inside you that's saying, Come on, let's just do what we used to do. You always think this way. You always give in to this temptation. You always do Come on, just, just get on with it. And we have to resist in the power of the Holy Spirit, things that would drag us down and make us different and allow God to build that new life inside us. Then there are your relationships with other people. And God wants to change that. One of the most amazing things that happens when you become a Christian is the way that you open out to other people, You have brothers and sisters all over the world. I remember I used to be in charge of uh, evangelism at the Greenbelt Festival, a big Christian festival. At least it was bigger in those days than it is now. I remember one year we had about 50,000 people there, and this tells you how far back it goes. It was the days when uh, some of them were, 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 were rockers who went round in leather jackets and all rode up on motorbikes and things like that, and others were mods who wore sharp suits and uh, you know royal royal air force targets on their back the backs of their parkas and things like that, and they did not get on with one another. I remember talking to one guy who was a rocker. He definitely was. He could have walked straight out of the 1950s. And uh, uh, I remember talking to him and saying, so, uh, have you been a Christian long? He said, no, no, no. I came here because I became a Christian just a couple of weeks ago. And I said, so, so, so what have you noticed that's, that's different about being a Christian? He said, oh, you know, just here today, he said, I was going to a tent to listen to a band play. And I was just about to put my way into the tent and I saw these guys hanging around the doorway of the tent. And they were all mods in all the gear. And I just went pale because my instinct was just, let's run, let's get out of here before they beat me up. And he said, anywhere else that would have happened. And I said, one of them caught sight of me. And I was terrified. And he said, oh, here you are, mate, come on through. And I was, huh? what's going on? You know, when mods start making way for rockers, God is doing something. And he said, this is what's changing my life. A long time ago, but it's still happening now. So your relationship with others. Oh, and finally... It's that one? Your knowledge of yourself. You get to know yourself better. You understand yourself. Not perfectly, because you will always, there will be things in your your heart and your mind that will be a mystery to you to the day you die, but you gradually start to learn more and more about yourself, and all of this happens. This is salvation on an ongoing basis. This is what God is doing. So, there's finally one question we need to ask is, why does God do it? Why doesn't he just take us off to heaven straight away? And I don't know for sure, Because the people doesn't address this question directly. And there are things that we can't know about God's planning and God's timing and so on. But you can guess. And I think there are three things I can see that God might put us through this process for. For the benefit of three different groups of people. One is obviously other people. One of the reasons he's left you here, rather than taking you off to heaven to work out your salvation, as Philippians puts it, day by day, the the thing that God's already put in you and that is gradually changing you. One of the reasons is to show the rest of the world what a Christian looks like, what God's plan for everybody's life is, for what God can do in them as well as in you. And you affect other people by being left here in a way that would never happen if God took you off to a hermetically sealed compartment in heaven straight away. There's also the fact that you're here with other Christians, and you'll learn to get on with them and live together. And you're going to be with them forever, let's face it, when you get to heaven. <laughs> so you better get used to them heaven. To dwell above with saints we love, praise God, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, that's a different story. And that old phrase uh, says something that's very true, doesn't it? We believe in theory, it's great to be part of God's church, but there are always people who annoy us, get up our nose. And learning to live with them, and learning about our own imperfections, And how we can change the way we relate to others. That's all part of the learning process by which God gets us ready for heaven. But you know, it's not just for others. I think God has got us here for ourselves as well. Because by going through this bruising process of learning our salvation by living it out, we get to know him better and better. And the New Testament talks about going to heaven and receiving a reward. You might think, well, surely it's enough just to go to heaven, and it talks about some people getting more reward than others. What's that about? Surely, you know, we're all on the same level. We're all sinners. And, but, you know, some people will have lived so closely with Jesus down here and served him so faithfully, they'll have a great reward in heaven. Others, well, the New Testament says they will be saved, but saved as if they were escaping from a burning building. You know, they'll get out, they'll get to heaven, but they won't take much with them. And their reward will not be great. So is that fair? Why does God reward some people greatly and other people just a little bit? Well, I think it depends on what you think the reward is. (laughs) I think the reward it's talking about is being able to appreciate heaven, appreciate being in the presence of God. Because I think some people who have learned to walk with Jesus here below will find heaven as an absolutely incredible experience. Whereas those who've only just made it there will still enjoy it. Their capacity for enjoyment will not be the same. C.S. Lewis once, once uh, gave a bizarre example of this. He said, suppose you were asked by a six-year-old boy, what is sex like? Is it like chocolate? Well, what would you say? Yes and um, no. <laughs> because it's, he's talking about that th- he can appreciate most in life, chocolate, it's just the most incredible experience in life. And you think, oh." Well, There are other things you can get joy out of as well, but you're not ready to enjoy them yet. And Lewis says, you know, there'll be chocolate Christians that go to England, and there'll be sex Christians, if you see what I mean. (laughs) There'll be those who have a limited capacity for enjoying God, and there'll be those for whom it'll be that much bigger and better to the max because of what they've done down here. So it's for you as well. And the final thing, the third and final thing is this. It's for God as well because God, I think, enjoys seeing you and me gradually becoming more like Jesus, gradually growing into what he wants. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us in heaven. You can't come up yet because I'm enjoying this. Just keep going. It's not like that. But, you know, if you're a parent, well, I don't know about, about uh, the rest of you who are a parent, but I, I found when my kids were growing up, there were two things I wanted. I was a youth worker, and so I wanted to see the end of the story. I wanted to see what these kids would develop into. I wanted to see my kids as adults. And yet at the same time, as everybody says, "Oh, they grow up so fast, don't they? You want to enjoy their childhood too. And it's great to see slowly developing in your family. You think, that's my boy, that's my girl. And gradually, you know, they become the kind of people that you've dreamt of them being. I think God enjoys that process as well. And although we will be with him for eternity, through this moment, here on earth is enjoying as he sees his children gradually letting that new life take them over getting closer to himself learning confidence in their dad that's the kind of thing that god really enjoys so that's the talk this morning and the final question we've got the same slide as last time is where are you in all this i suppose there are three places you could be Number one, you may never have been saved properly in the past. You may not know for sure whether you have been or not. If so, talk to somebody this morning. Because that's the basis of the whole thing, being sure exactly where you stand. Or you may be saved, but you're not growing very much. It's not going anywhere. And you feel that you need to have the excitement of the Holy Spirit working in you, changing you from day to day. Don't get me wrong, it's not something you feel all the time. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I have plugged in the computer because it just works away the there, and uh, I never think about the power supply except when it goes black, you know. But, uh, but uh, he's there all the time, and he's reliable, and he's faithful. And if you want to know that the Holy Spirit is changing you... And start to see the difference that he can make. And be saved day by day, being saved. Then again, talk to somebody. Talk to me if you're absolutely stuck. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, uh, give you whatever help we can give you. And the third thing that could be happening, I suppose, is that you are doing fine. <laughs> you're saved. It's happened to you at some point in your life. And now the Holy Spirit is working through you and changing you as a person. And other people can see the difference he's making. Well if that's you, then ask yourself how can I have more of this? How can I make sure that this week is a real advance when God just takes grip of a bit of me he's not got a hold of yet? Where God puts me in a situation where I learn something that's going to challenge me and make me just a little bit more ready for his presence and for heaven. How can I ask him to do that? Whichever situation you're in. Let's just pray together for a second. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've you redeemed us from the empty way of life handed down from our forefathers. You've redeemed us by the precious blood of Christ. You've brought us into a new family and your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. We pray that the excitement of that and the reality of it will characterise us over the next week. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be realities to us as that continues for your namesake. sake.